أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم صلى الله عليك يا أبا عبد الله We were discussing the events that over the 50 years after the Holy Prophet's death um, took place and led up to the event of Ashura. And we have now, we were in the middle of um, discussing the assassination of Uthman. As I've said before, the assassination of Uthman plays a very, very pivotal role and is that turning point, um, one of the major turning points um, in that early history of Islam I can, I would say, um, and without a doubt, it played a major role in the power and authority of the Khilafah, eventually ending up in the hands of Banu Umayyah. And this is what we're doing these nights and days. What we're discussing is how it's the case. How was it even possible that those who were the enemies of Islam and were freed by the Holy Prophet out of the grace of the Holy Prophet? Um, eventually ended up holding and, and possessing all the power of the Muslims and being able to do whatever they, need, they wanted or needed to do. We started with um, the first Khalifa, how he was chosen, the second Khalifa, third Khalifa, the relationship of the second Khalifa with Muawiyah and Muawiyah, you know, starting his whole journey of gaining more and more authority during the time of the second Khalifa. And we were talking about how the second half, mostly, of the, um, of the third Khalifa's Khilafah, how things started going downhill in that time period. The second six years of his Khilafah weren't very bright years, brothers and sisters. And we talked about how the Sahaba, how their relationship was with the second Khalifa, how the laws of God were slowly being trampled in that time, and so on and so forth. There was one more thing that was left that we were discussing, one more item that contributed to um, the assassination of the second Khalifa, uh, or excuse me, the third Khalifa. Um, and that was the wealth of the public treasury, the Baytul Mal, uh, in different cities, in different regions of the Muslim empire back then. Uh, one thing that's for sure um, is spoken about a lot is the wealth that was distributed very unevenly un and unjustly um, amongst the Bani Umayyah, especially um, in that time period. Um, some people would object to the third Khalifa and they would say this is not how Umar and Abu Bakr would deal with their relatives when it came to distribution of wealth. And he would say that... Um, well, this is how they would do it, and that's how they—that's that was their discretion. But my discretion is that I have to do it in this way. Um, and this is maybe something that some might call his ijtihad. This was his ijtihad that this is how it's supposed to be done, and so he's not to be uh, scolded for that. But nonetheless, I just want to share with you some of just a few cases of how wealth was spent and distributed in his time. This is based off of the famous book of Al-Ghadir of the late uh, Abdul Hussein Al-Amini, a uh, very, very famous scholar. 
And in this book of his, um, he has um, discussed a lot of things regarding the early history of Islam. So he, in one section of it, he goes into the wealth that was distributed amongst the Bani Umayyad during the time of the third Khalifa. He talks about how, I'm just going to give some numbers here, brothers and sisters. It says that how the Khalifa had granted Abu Sufyan uh, 200,000 dirhams from the Baytul Mal. 200,000 dirhams. That is a lot of money. While Imam Ali, he says, Imam Ali tells Abu Sufyan that you have always been an enemy of Islam and the people of Islam. But this is happening. Abu Sufyan is Banu Umayyah. And I will explain how there are some who will disagree with all of these accounts that I'm sharing with you right now, but we'll get to that. So that's Abu Sufyan. And other, there's other examples as well. Hakam bin Abil As, the uncle of uh, the third Khalifa, the father of Marwan bin Al-Hakam, the one that was expelled from Medina, of course. It says here that not only did he bring him back into Medina, 300,000 dirhams was, were given to him. Um, this Hakam bin Abil As, the, the expelled one by the Prophet. And it reaches a point where it says that the, the one in charge of the sadaqat um, of the market of Medina, that's, how, that's what it's written here, he gets angry one day because of all the money that's going out and being uh, granted here and there and gifted. He says, oh people, the third Khalifa thinks that I'm his treasurer. But that's not the case. I'm the treasurer of the Muslimin. And here, I don't even want these keys to the treasury. And he throws the keys um, to, towards the third Khalifa. He gets upset because, you know, when you're an accountant, when you're a treasurer, you want to have everything... Uh, you know, record it properly, go by the books and, 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 and have, have, have everything in the books. But the way that it was going back then, he gets angry. This shows that, okay, things were not going the way they were supposed to be going. So this is Hakam bin Abil As, um, 300,000 dirhams to him. Who else do we have here? Marwan bin Hakam, the son of Al-Hakam bin Abil As. Marwan, the famous Marwan that also in uh, Ziyarat Ashura, the Imams have cursed the whole family tree of Alu Marwan. It says here, and also let's not forget, Marwan is the son-in-law of the third Khalifa as well. And so this also gives him extra attention and makes him extra special. So here it says that the third Khalifa gave him one-fifth of the war spoils of Africa. Uh, Africa of back then, probably parts of Egypt and maybe more than that either, even. One-fifth of the war spoils coming from there gave it straight up to Marwan. One thing that's very famous as well is that the third Khalifa granted Marwan Fadak, the famous land of Fadak that you know was uh, a matter of dispute between Fatima al-Zahra and the first Khalifa. We don't want to get into that story. What else do we have? Harith Al-Harith bin Hakam bin Abil As, another one of the Banu Umayyah, and the brother of Marwan apparently, Harith bin Hakam. Here it says that 300,000 dirhams were given to him, and Ibn al-Sadaqa was given to him. The camels or the cows and the livestock that is for sadaqa only, that they've marked for sadaqa, 
that you're not supposed to use for anything else and maybe even you're supposed to res keep the respect of that animal because it's going to be used as sadaqah was given to Harith bin Hakam. There is one more thing here that it says about this Hakam that the Holy Prophet a piece of land that was part of the market of Medina he had given that and dedicated that to the Muslimin. But the third Khalifa, he granted that to Harith bin al-Hakam as well, which is, um, this is going to be his cousin, Harith. Sa'id bin al-As, another one, another of the Bani Umayyah. It says here that 100,000 dirhams were given to him, while As, the father of this Sa'id bin As, was one of the ones who had been killed by Ali ibn Abi Talib in the battle of Badr while he was mushrik, right? So you will have this as well. Lots of these Banu Umayyah, not lots, but some of them were really upset with Ali ibn Abi Talib because he was the one who had killed one of their relatives when they were in, during the times of shirk and polytheism. Yes, so this is, this is Sa'id bin Al-As. We also have the famous, we talked about him yesterday as well, Walid bin Uqba, the one who, the drunkard who would lead Salat the way he would. Um, with Walid bin Uqba, you also have money being given to him. It says here that, yes, Walid had borrowed money from the treasury and the person in charge of the treasury then was Ibn Mas'ud, the famous Ibn Mas'ud. And he had borrowed money from the treasury. But now when the third Khalifa, he is in power, the third Khalifa says, look, you don't have to pay back the public treasury. This big amount, this big sum of money that you took as a loan, it's okay, you don't have to pay it back. Walid bin Uqba. And this is while Walid bin Uqba, the son of Uqba, Walid the son of Uqba, the Holy Prophet he says, Kuntu bayna sharri jarain. I was between two horrible neighbors. Bayna Abi Lahabin wa Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt. I lived between, our house was between Abi Lahab's house on one side and on the other side, the father of this Walid bin Uqba, whose name was Uqba bin, uh, bin Abi Mu'ayt. And he says that they were the ones who would dump waste and filth um, in front of my home and maybe even on the Prophet sometimes. And so this is, this is what it is. Now someone might say that, okay, Walid is the son of Uqba, so he shouldn't be uh, scolded for what his father would do. That's true. Um, if, he was a, if he was a righteous individual himself. But he himself is a problem. His father is a problem. And yet we see how generous the third Khalifa was towards him. Now, we have to say this, brothers and sisters. We have to be fair as well. When you look, you will find that some, not all, some of the scholars of Ahl sunnah they say that, look, all of this is made up. These are all lies, these are all fabrications. Um, a person like um, now Ibn Taymiyyah, for example, will definitely, definitely, he'll say that these things that you say are not established, but they are there, scattered a lot, uh, uh, in the books, brothers and sisters. They are there. These details are there. Yet, all of them are dismissed by an individual like Ibn Taymiyyah. He says, غَيْرُ ثَابِتْ It has not been established, it has not been proven. Okay. It hasn't been proven, but there are scholars of Ahl sunnah as well who say, yeah, I mean, these are facts and we can't turn a blind eye to them. And these are the things that built up and eventually led to 
people not taking it and not tolerating it anymore? Why else is it that people will get up all the way from Egypt, all the way from Iraq, yes, as we, as we shall see, and go and try to overthrow the Khalifa of the time? Is it, they, they don't, is it like they have extra time on their hands, they have nothing better to do, that they get up and go and want to you know, overthrow the third Khalifa? No. These are the things that added up. Now, those same people who say that these details are there, and these are facts, they will also say that, look, it was a mistake, it was his ijtihad, we, we can't really call him out on it. So I want us to understand, um, brothers and sisters, if the Shi'i school of thought um, will be critical, yes, you will find amongst the Sunni school of thought some scholars who will say that, look, these things have not even been proven, it's all wrong, it's not even possible to give this much money away, it's just these numbers are way too high, and they're not realistic, others will say, no, we know for a fact, even if the numbers might not be accurate, but they, that lots of wealth was distributed um, unjustly, and that is what caused the problem, but still that should not have been the pretext for the assassination of the third Khalifa. Now we do have, once again, to be fair again, we will have an account and a narration um, that says that uh, the third Khalifa himself, like I saw this in Tabari once, um, that he says, Look, this was all my personal wealth that I was giving away to people. And none of it was from Baytul Mal. None of it was from the public treasury. Once again, brothers and sisters, uh, if someone is analytical, um, it'll be hard to accept that there was no money of the Baytul Mal distributed at all. And these great sums of wealth were, were from the uh, personal property of uh, the third Khalifa. He, they do say he was well off. But uh, not, I don't think anybody in that time was this well off. Once again, these are things to be discussed and researched more and more. But as I said, there are these opinions out there that, um, that even amongst the Sunni scholars, they'll say that, yeah, these were things that we will concede to happened. And this is why the people were enraged. The fact that they had people governing and ruling over them that they didn't like. And one more thing that is mentioned you find here and there is that... <sighs> They say that uh, even if the third Khalifa himself wasn't doing dhulm, okay, the fact that others that were under him were doing dhulm and he wasn't doing anything about it is also a problem. And this has also been discussed and mentioned as well. Yeah, so all of these things, brothers and sisters, added up. Eventually, that which was not supposed to happen, happened. The assassination of Khalifatul Muslimin. Yes? And uh, the one who, is in, who, who has the authority over the Muslims, whether you like it or not, whether you like him or not, he is Khalifatul Muslimin. And this individual being assassinated is going to be a very, very big problem for the Muslim Ummah. And we want to talk about that now. This was the turning point. This is the biggest, I would say, out of all of the events that we're going to cover, that we covered already, and that we are going to cover this one is the most pivotal one. This is the turning point. This is why people during Imam Ali's Khilafah were able to do what they wanted to do. The Ashab of Jamal, the ones who fought in Jamal, the ones who fought in Safin. If there was a Nahrawan, if there were a Khawarij that came about later, it's because of this fact that the third Khalifa was assassinated, allowing Safin to even take place for the Khawarij to be born. And we'll get to all of that inshallah later. But for now, 
we want to talk a little bit about this one, the assassination. Yes, we usually talk about the Battle of Jamal, the Battle of Safin, all of that. Some of the details of the assassination of, of the third Khalifa are not mentioned. I want to go through the Shia narrative. And when I say Shia, um, it is mainstream Shia. And lots of Sunni scholars as well will talk about this. But as, at the same time, yes, we will, I will also share with you that other... Uh, uh, the other viewpoint that says no, that looks at things in a much more, uh, in, a, in a much different way than the Shi'i school of thought, and some of the Sunni scholars look at. So, inshallah, we'll get to that as well. So, let's start with the Shi'a narrative here. I, I, I don't like saying that. I have no choice but to say that, because when it comes to history, yes, we do have the the, his, the Shi'a historians and their perspective on things. We don't call it Shia history, yes? Um, it is the way that the Shi'i school will look at uh, what the books, what the sources offer us of facts and of information and details. Or else, once again, as I said, um, there, are, there will be also Sunni scholars who will, uh, will have this narrative and believe in this narrative, or, or very similar and close to what I'm about to mention. That as, times, as time passed, things got worse and worse uh, during the Khilafah of the third Khalifa. People would get up in the masjid and speak out against him while in his face while he's speaking. And he would use force to keep things under control. I mean, when things start to get out of control, you have no choice but to use power and force. And that's what starts to happen in here as well. That the third Khalifa has no choice but to use some force to quiet people down and suppress them. But it's a snowball effect, brothers and sisters, and slowly things will get out of hand. He would enter the masjid, people would call him a na'thal, na'thal. And it seems that the first person who coined this term, based on, uh, the, once again, the books, is uh, the wife of the Prophet Aisha. That she didn't have a very good relationship with him. And this is something that I will share one example of um, in our next lecture, about how she wasn't very happy with the third Khalifa. And uh, she really kind of, I mean, based on the wording, was it's not just didn't like him, it was, it's more than that even. But Na'fat is a derogatory term and so the people are calling him that. They've learned it from her, and they're using it against him as well. It reaches a point where the Sahaba, grand Sahaba, are now even speaking out. They have problems with him. It says that the Sahaba of the Bay'atul Shajara, Bay'atul Ridwan, these grand Sahabis are also now speaking out. They have issues as well. So this is in Medina, where the Khalifa is residing. Now let's go to Egypt. If you remember, we talked about this yesterday. In Egypt, what happened was Amr bin al-As, the one who had conquered Egypt, he is set aside and a youth um, is put instead of him, yes? And so the people, they're upset about this. And so they come, they complain as well. Um, they come to Medina and they complain about the rulers that they have. And so what does Uthman do here? Okay, the one I replaced Amr As with is a problem. It's okay, let me send Ammar bin Yasir. He's a softer guy. Uh, he'll, he'll take care of you in Egypt. So Ammar goes, little does Uthman know, that Ammar bin Yasser has major issues with him too. And so Ammar, instead of going there and you know, you know, calming things down, calming people down, he goes there and he becomes a person himself who is criticizing the third Khalifa. And before you know it, more and more people are now are getting worked up and hyped up to you know, do something about all the problems that are happening and are taking place in during the Khilafah of the third Khalifa. 
So Uthman has no choice but to remove Ammar bin Yasir. And once he removes Ammar bin Yasir, this is where maybe it reaches that breaking point where people, something between four to seven hundred, they say there's different numbers, a group of four to seven hundred, they come to Medina now. They come to Medina and they have a list of all the problems and all the issues that they have with the third Khalifa. That's Egypt. In Kufa, what happens? In Kufa, people are also rising. The Malik al-Ashtars and others. Yes, and so they're expelled to Sham because Sham was that place where Uthman, you know, he could sit and rest assured that, you know, people there, if they go there, Muawiyah will keep them under control. So they go there, they get into trouble with Muawiyah. Muawiyah expels them to Homs. And so before you know it, the governor of Kufa, yes, uh, Sa'id bin, um, I forgot his name, Sa'id bin something. He is also Sa'id bin al-As. He's expe- he, the, the people of Kufa kick him out. So the revolutionaries who were sent to Sham and then to Homs, and they're away from Kufa, the governor is kicked out by uh, the people of Kufa, and so they come back to Kufa now. And then they also come to Medina with a long list of problems that they have. And they're trying to uh, make sure that the, the third Khalifa knows what their issues are, what their complaints are. They're not after trouble, but they've just had it to hear, and they want, they want things to get better. And that's what they're demanding. Yes. So they're trying. And then also from Basra, we have another group that comes. So we have three major locations, brothers and sisters, Basra, Kufa, and Egypt, that people come from and are complaining, are objecting, and maybe even revolting now against the third Khalifa. And so as you can see, things are getting worse and worse and worse. But we have something to have hope in, and that is Ali ibn Abi Talib The people they trust him. The people see him as a person that they can talk to, who can negotiate with, and be, uh, negotiate with the third Khalifa, and be the in-between person between the Khalifa and them. Yes, and so here, Imam Ali salam is able to somehow strike a deal between these people and the third Khalifa. And so an agreement, they come to an agreement. It is signed and everyone agrees on it. And so the people now, they're going back to their homes going back to their respective regions. The Egyptians are going back to Egypt, the Kufans, Basra, everyone's going back. But there's a problem here now. There's a big problem here that comes up and happens. And that is that when they're getting back to Egypt, the ones that had come from Egypt, they intercept the servant of Uthman rushing towards Egypt. And who is in Egypt right now? The same governor that Uthman had placed before. And so they, they catch this uh, servant of Uthman. What is the rush? Why are you trying to get there? So what's going on? What are you carrying with you? What's this letter? Lo and behold, there's a letter that says, once these, these people get back from Medina, I want you to kill some of them and I want you to imprison some of them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We had struck a deal. And we had come to an agreement in Medina, O third Khalifa. So why is it now that we find that we are to be, some of us are to be executed and some of us are to be imprisoned? What is going on? And so they are enraged and they turn right back for Medina. 
And the Kufans and the, Basra, the ones from Basra also find out about this. And they're like, what? They come back too. They come back as well, and that this is where really things just get out of control. Now why? Why would you do such a thing? O third Khalifa, they ask, and he says, I swear by Allah, I didn't write this letter. What's going on then? Who wrote this letter? It has your seal and stamp on it. Well, brothers and sisters, it turns out that Marwan bin al-Hakam, he was the scribe of, and you can say maybe like secretary of, the third Khalifa, he had the stamp and seal of Uthman. And this is not the first time. This is not the first time. It has happened before that Marwan had sent letters on behalf of the third Khalifa and sealed it with his stamp of, of, uh, and seal. And turns out that the Uthman had, not, had no idea of that letter. And here also we have the same thing. Now Marwan, and I've seen uh, some of our Sunni brothers uh, they also speak about this. They say that yes, Marwan, you find traces of him in this whole episode of the assassination of Uthman. Some of the things that he did, some of the things that he said, and so on. And so Marwan, he has, he's playing a fishy role here. But the people, they're enraged now. And so they're like, we're not going back that easily this time. If it wasn't you who wrote this letter and was Marwan and was about to get our blood spilled, hand Marwan over to us then. And this might have been even the demand of the Malik al-Ashtars as well, who had come from Kufa. Yeah, Marwan has no right to do this. What does that even mean that Marwan can get away with something like this? So they want Marwan, but now the problem is that the third Khalifa is not turning him in. Yes? He says, no, 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 no. I will not turn Marwan in. Okay then, if that's the case, then you need to resign. I'm not going to resign either. I'm not going to relinquish the Khilafah either. Now here there's a report that they say that, uh, the, the, that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had told the third Khalifa this during his lifetime. That, O oh Uthman, God will put a shirt on you, meaning Khilafah. You will be wearing the shirt of Khilafah. And the hypocrites will want you to remove it. Do not do so till you join me in paradise. O oh, Uthman, don't you dare give up Khilafah. Yes, this is a kind of like a God-given uh, or, or a divine position that God is not happy with you relinquishing it once you have it. And so Uthman, he tells these people that, no, 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 no. I'd rather die than to give up the Khilafah. Now, of course, the Shia school of thought for sure and maybe some others as well, they will say this is a fabricated report. There is no such thing. We don't believe in that. But we have to understand that there are others who will believe in this. And this is where it comes from. Why didn't he just give up Khilafah? Well, because the Prophet had told them not to. According to them, this is what it, this is what it looks like. And so he says, I'm willing to die, but I won't step down. And if you kill me, you will never have a good day again. That means fitna will, be, will happen. And here, like brothers and sisters, we need to really think about this. If you know that the mu'mineen, the muslimin will never have a good day again and there will be so much fitna after you then maybe you should have relinquished it. But once again the answer will be when the Prophet has told him not to that he's not supposed to. The Shia school of thought will say no, if you know that there will be such a fitna then the burden of it will also kind of rub off on you as well if you knew that, this fitna, that the fitnas were going to begin after you. And as I said before this is the turning point in Islamic history, brothers and sisters. 
This is that turning point after which everything goes downhill. Everything goes in the favor of Banu Umayyah and then that's why Ashura took place later. I am not saying that this was deliberately done by the third Khalifa so Ashura takes place. I want everyone to um, be, be uh, cognizant of this matter. That's not what is being said. When we go through these different events of history, it doesn't mean that each of them was deliberately took place so that Ashura take, takes place. No, these were mistakes, at least in our eyes, mistakes that took place that led up to Ashura taking place. Whatever, if there was any deliberation, at least it is by the Banu Umayyah, it is by the Muawiyahs and the Yazids. Yeah? The rest will say, will concede for now, for argument's sake, and will say, no, it's not that everything was deliberate for Ashura to take place. It's irrelevant to our discussion, in other words. All right. So Imam Ali Najjul Balagha, he also points this out to uh, the third Khalifa. He says, look, in two different khutbas, um, he says, or two different sayings in Najjul Balagha, in one of them he tells the third Khalifa, he says, look, don't be the ride, don't let Marwan ride you like this and take advantage of you and get you in trouble. Somewhere else in Najjul Balagha, he says, don't be the one, O Uthman, be careful, if you get killed and assassinated, you will be the one that the Prophet was talking about. That if that person gets killed after him, there will be fitna and bloodshed amongst the Muslimin until the Day of Judgment. Don't be that person. Imam Ali had seen this day coming as well. And so Imam Ali is trying his best, defending, trying his best to keep things normal and under control. But unfortunately, that which was not supposed to happen, happened. Now in all of this, you might ask, okay, well, where was Muawiyah? Because later on, Muawiyah, the distant cousin, uh, the distant cousin of Uthman, is going to say, "Oh, you killed my cousin. I want to, uh, I want to avenge his death." All right. Well, where is he in all of this? I just want to share one account with you, um, because as they say, "Al Mulku Aqimun," when it comes to uh, rulership and power, yes, mulk. When it comes to mulk. A mulk knows no blood relationships, doesn't care. Power is power. I mean, look at Ma'mun, the, khal the Abbasid Khalifa. He kills his own brother Amin, and they say that the head of his brother is brought before him. This is what mulk is all about, brothers and sisters. Right? So Muawiyah sees an opportunity here now. Because true, Banu Umayyah are in power, but even better than that would be if Muawiyah is in power. And so he sees an opportunity. I want to share with you something that we um, that is in Tariq al-Yaqubi. It, it might be in other Tawarikh as well. I haven't checked those. But I came across this and I thought it would be nice to share. That it says that فَكَتَبَ إِلَى مُعَاوِيَةِ Uthman wrote to Muawiyah asking him تَعْجِيبَ الْقُدُومْ عَلَيْكَ Hurry up, come and help me out. I'm, I'm stuck here. Because they say that Uthman, his, his house was surrounded um, or his palace or mansion, whatever it was, was surrounded by, for almost 50 days, 49, 49 days to be exact. So um, he's telling Muawiyah, like, hurry up, I'm running out, we're running out of food here, we're running out of water here. And he did run out of these things eventually. تَعْجِيلِ الْقُدُومِ عَلَيْهِ فَتَوَجَّهَ إِلَيْهِ فِي So Muawiyah puts together an army of 12,000. But then he keeps them there in Sham, like on the border of Sham, fi awa'il sham And he comes to Uthman himself, and he says to him, and to see what's going on and how he's doing. 
And so he comes to Uthman and asks him, and Uthman asks him, like, what's taking so long? He says, look, I came first to see what's going on, see what you think, to, to get your opinion on things, and then I'll bring the army for you. <laughs> so Uthman here says, La wallah, no, by Allah, that's not the case. In other words, you're not telling the truth. You want me to get killed, so that once I get killed, you come and say that I want, I'm, I'm avenging him. Yes, I am the one who, he is my blood relative, and I'm supposed to come now and avenge his blood. That's what you want to say. Go and bring them, bring the 12,000, why are you leaving them there? Muawiyah returned and he didn't come back to Uthman until Uthman was killed. Brothers and sisters, these, this is what it's all about. Brothers and sisters, politics, politics, power. Al-mulku Yeah, if you, though, if you believe that once you are a Sahabi, that you will never do something wrong or you won't have bad intentions, you might sin. But you, you're, you're not going to ever be questioned when it comes to the, ma the main tenets of the faith and, and so on. Then, of course, this account that was just read, you'll dismiss it right away. But if that's not the case, then these are very clear points. I mean, it all adds up, brothers and sisters. For the Shia school of thought, at least, and for the brothers and sisters who might be watching, um, who want to learn the, how things ended up in the hands of Banu Umayyah, these are little details here and there that really make it clear as day for us what's going on in people's hearts and what the intentions are. So he is, eventually he loses his life. It says that he was killed on the 18th of the Hijjah of the year 35 after Hijrah. And they don't know who delivered the fatal blow. Um, and so this is what will move us towards the battle of Jamal because they don't know who delivered that final blow and actually killed the third Khalifa yes this is going to be the reason why Ali ibn Abi Talib later is going to say I can't give you the killers of, of Uthman because I, we don't know who they are we don't know who they are now there are details here that I have to skip in the interest of time in the interest of time but I will very quickly say this that there is one individual that there are reports that he actually was one of the ones at least who killed the third Khalifa and his name is Amr bin Ham Al Hamiq Al Khuzai that we talked about in our first lecture that Imam Hussein writes a letter back to Muawiyah telling him aren't you the killer of Amr bin Hamiq Al Khuzai why were they in pursuit of Amr bin Hamiq because they knew he's one of the ones that had killed Uthman that he stabbed Uthman with a spear nine times but this is a grand Sahabi that I think when I checked, if I remember correctly, he was, of, he was one of the fighters of the Battle of Badr. That means you're, you're a very uh, high and grand and, and senior Sahabi if, if you fought in the Battle of Badr. This, uh, they call him a Sahabi al-Jaleel, Amr bin Hamiq al-Khuzai. But anyway, anyway, that is something that you will usually find others saying, that no, 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 there were no Sahaba involved in the direct killing of the third Khalifa and his assassination. And they will also say that we have a narration by Hassan al-Basri. Hassan al-Basri says that no, there were no Sahaba involved. And of course, this is very important. This is very important um, because if there were, then there will be other problems that, will, that, that there won't be answers to. And that's why they say, no, no, no. 
there were no Sahaba involved in the assassination of Uthman directly. And we have things to say about that. I won't get into that right now. Maybe later we'll talk about that a little bit more. But now, as I said, there are other perspectives on the assassination of Uthman. What I shared with you is what our historians have accepted and some of the Sunni historians have also accepted and we find uh, uh, these points in their books as well. But as I've said again and again, brothers and sisters, just because there's something in a book that belongs to a Sunni author doesn't mean that now this is what Ahlul Sunnah all agree. Brothers and sisters, my Shia brothers and sisters who sometimes get into these discussions and debates and they say, it's in the Sunni books, how can you, how can you uh, not accept it? That's not the way to discuss and debate. If you're going to discuss, yes, and of course when we discuss, we keep the respect with each other. You discuss, you, the way you discuss is that you use the sources that they agree on. There are Sunni sources that they might not agree on. They might say are second hand, third hand. They might say are weak or have weak narrations and so on. So we have to go, have to at least understand what they say. So what I said so far, some Sunni scholars agree with. And this is mainstream Shi'i history as well. That version of that uh, narrative that I uh, shared with you. But there's another narrative. There's another narrative as well. And it's unfortunate that this narrative is out there because it rubs off on the Shi'a a lot as well. And the Shi'a don't believe in this at all. And it's a different discussion that I won't get into. I'll just share with you what the main points are in this narrative. In this narrative, it says that there's a person by the name of Abdullah bin Sabah. Abdullah bin Sabah, this ex-Jew who turns Muslim during the time of the third Khalifa. And he is in Yemen. And then he goes to all of these different lands of Islam. Basra, Kufa, Egypt, I don't know, other places even, Medina, Mecca, everywhere he goes. And he's the one who's, who brings together these different rioters and revolutionaries. And he's the one who eventually, when they have been through Ali ibn Abi Talib, the, these rioters, quote-unquote rioters, of course, we, we put quotation marks, these quote-unquote rioters uh, reach an agreement with the third Khalifa and they are going back to their homes. He's the one who um, causes problems again, provokes them and makes them go back to Medina. And this time he makes sure that the third Khalifa is killed. This is the one who went around telling everyone that Ali ibn Abi Talib is God and, 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 and claimed divinity for Ali. And this is where Shi'ism begins. And these are the roots of Tashayyu and Shi'ism and all of that. Of course, the Shia school of thought will say like, who is this one guy who has enough power to shut all of the Sahaba up and make sure they don't get involved in protecting the third Khalifa and is also able to cause so many problems and no one calls him out on it and no one's able to assassinate him and get rid of him if he is such a troublemaker. Where did this guy even come from? And so for the Shia school of thought, this is more of a, this is more of a myth than it is reality. Yes. Now we'll get to some more details about this Abdullah bin Sabah in our future lecture as well because you'll find traces of him again and there's some points I want to make there as well. For now, to wrap up brothers and sisters, the third Khalifa was assassinated. And this was that turning point in Islamic history. Ali ibn Abi Talib beautifully said it in Nahjul Balagha that it, after you, if you're the one who is the one to get killed, after you there will be fitna and bloodshed till the day of judgment. After the assassination of Uthman, things are not the same anymore. Yes, and unfortunately, the situation of the Muslims just decays more and more and more. And then we find civil strife, 
civil battles, bloodshed amongst the Muslims themselves for the first time. All of this because of this event that took place in Islamic history. And as I said, I want you to remember there are different versions of this. The Shi'i school believes that there were mistakes that were made. Eventually the people were fed up and they took the life of the third Khalifa. Others say that no, there was an individual, a problematic, controversial individual who was behind all of this and caused all of this havoc upon the Muslimin. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, one of those events that led to Ashura, brothers and sisters, taking place was the assassination of Uthman. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu ala al-Husayn wa ala Ali ibn al-Husayn wa ala awlad al-Husayn wa ala ashab al-Husayn wa assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.